Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, we're going to come to our time in the Word this morning as we've just heard these words read for us. I invite you to have a Bible open before you as we consider what God is saying to us in His Word this morning, and I invite you to pray with me. Living God, I thank you for this time we have to worship you, to discover more about you. And I pray that now as we consider your words, would your Holy Spirit come upon us, to open our hearts and our minds to consider what you're saying to us and to follow you and obey you. Lord, I trust that you have good news for us this morning, good news that can transform our lives, transform our relationship with you, and bring us into a kind of living, a kind of kingdom living that you intend for us to have. So do this in our midst. We pray, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Today we're considering the second half of what's often called the parable of the prodigal son. Last week we took a look at the first son and and his problem was super obvious. The younger son in this parable outright rebelled against his father. He broke his father's heart by leaving home, taking a third of his father's wealth, squandering it on women, drugs, and drink, and became enslaved to his appetites to the point where he ran out of money and he was feeding pigs and he decided to come home and he was welcomed home by his father. And now in the second half of the parable, the focus changes to the older brother. And it's clear that he also has a problem. This isn't just a parable about one son who screwed up. This is actually a parable about two sons who are screwed up. And he also has a problem. So this morning, we're simply going to consider what the problem is of the older brother. And we're going to do that by looking at some of the symptoms of the problem as they manifest themselves in his relationship with his father. So that's what we're going to do. Let's consider the first symptom that we see as the brother hears the news that his younger brother has come home. Check out verse 28. In verse 28, as he receives the news of the party that's happening, it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. When he hears about this party happening in celebration of his no-good younger brother who's come crawling back, he becomes angry and he refuses to go in. And there's this symptom that he has of rage in response to this news. He's wrathful. Why? Why is he so angry? Clearly, this news has touched some kind of nerve in him. Here's why he's angry. His little brother has just taken one-third of the family wealth and completely blown it, and now he's come back. And his father has welcomed him back into full sonship. All those symbols of what the father did, how he put the best robe on the younger son, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, those are all signs of the son being fully welcomed back into sonship. And this means that he becomes an inheritor again in the remainder of the estate. He becomes an inheritor again in the remainder of the estate. And you can see how that might 
put the older brother off a bit. He gets angry. He has rage. Why? Because now this whole issue of the father's lavish grace is starting to affect his pocketbook. And what this rage shows us is it actually exposes what the older son loves. It actually exposes what the older son loves. You see, we get angry about the things we care about. And his anger exposes his love. And what he loves is the wealth of his father. What he loves is the inheritance of his father. What he loves is getting from his father what he feels he deserves. Remember when the younger brother first came with his request, the older brother didn't get angry. The younger brother completely humiliated his father, and it would have been appropriate at that point for the older brother to be righteously angry, to step in, and to seek to correct his younger brother at the injustice that he had been committing against his father, and to contend for his father's dignity and honor. Instead, he's completely silent. He's completely silent. The older brother let it all happen. He let his father divide the estate. But now, now that his payoff is being threatened, now that his younger brother is being welcomed back into full inheritance, he's dripping with rage. And his rage shows that he doesn't really care about his father. He, he doesn't really love his father. What he loves are the benefits of his father. He loves his father's wealth. He loves his table, his wine, his status. And much like his younger brother, he does much have all those things without the father. See, his rage exposes what he really loves. He doesn't really love the father. He loves the benefits of the father. The second thing that his rage shows us, that it exposes in him, is that he has a self-righteous identity. Look in verse 29. His father pleads with him to come in. And he says this in response. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That's what he jumps to. He jumps to the fact that he's been slaving. He jumps to the fact that he's had perfect obedience to all of the orders of the Father. And this shows us that at some fundamental level, this son views the purpose of his life first and foremost in terms of dutiful obedience to orders. That's an identity piece for him. He's become self-righteous because of it. He's earned his way through rigorous obedience. And so he thinks he's superior to everyone else, including especially his no good brother. Right? The equation playing in his head is, I put in the work. I did everything that was asked, for, asked of me. So I should get the glory. I should get the party. I should be celebrated and acknowledged. And his father's grace towards his younger brother just completely blows the equation up and scandalizes him. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. It doesn't fit within his categories of an earned righteousness. 
See, this is a deeper issue of how his self-righteousness has shaped an identity rooted in his obedience and in his work. Now get this. The older brother is a son. And he's a firstborn son at that. That's like a cut above all the other kids in the family. But notice how his mindset is the mindset of a slave. He sees himself as a doer of tasks. He sees his value as based on his productive output. He doesn't have the mindset of of a son. He has the mindset of a slave. Now, can we diagnose the problem? You see, the, the problem with the older brother is he's just as lost. He's also been seeking to free himself from under the father, but, but he's done it in a different way. He's chosen a different method. He hasn't outright, outright rebelled. He has chosen rigorous self-righteousness. And in the process, he's actually forgotten the father. You see, the younger brother may have rebelled, dragging his father's name through the dirt, but the older brother has pulled off maybe an even more astonishing feat. He managed to lose himself while still at home. He managed to forget his own father while living in his house. Now, I use the word forgotten because I don't think this was a calculated decision that he made at one point in time. I think this is something that he slipped into gradually over a long period of time. And that's the way this happens with us too. Folks in the church don't ever set out to forget God. We don't wake up one morning and say, you know what, that's it. I'm going to forget God and I'm going to go the route of self-righteousness, baby. That's what I'm going to do. I mean, maybe some do, but in my experience, it doesn't happen like that. It's this subtle and slow drift like a drowsy forgetfulness. And the lostness of the older brother is by analogy the particular lostness that befalls religious types. Churchgoers, people who've sat in the pew for for decades. Remember that Jesus is sharing this parable in response to the objections of some seriously religious people. The Pharisees. Jesus had been eating with sinners and tax collectors, and these serious religious people were taking issue with it and saying, why do you welcome them to yourself? Jesus, don't you know they're beneath you? And what this parable is meant to do is clearly set two types of people in front of us, and indeed to see them in ourselves. The first type and the younger son, right? The type of the, of the sinners and the tax collectors. The rebels who seek freedom from God through self-discovery. But then the other type is the type of the older son, like the Pharisees, the rigorist who seeks freedom from God through self-righteousness. And the parable makes clear, Jesus does this so brilliantly. Both of them are wrong. Both are in sin. Both seek to be their own God and end up in slavery and misery. And both have failed to see the surpassing value of knowing the Father's love. Both have failed to see the surpassing value of knowing the Father's love. That's the problem. The older brother is lost too. 
He's not in the love of the Father. Even though he's physically at home, he's not all there. Now, before we consider the remedy to the problem, as Jesus announces it in this parable, I want to touch on one more symptom of the older brother. This is a crucial symptom for us right now and indeed at all times, but especially in light of recent events and the concerns in our culture over racism, racial bias, and injustice. One of the most telling symptoms in the older brother that he has forgotten the father is that he has forgotten his brother. Let me say that again. One of the most telling symptoms that the older brother has forgotten the father is that he has forgotten his brother. This is crucial. And to say that he forgot his brother is putting it a bit mildly. I mean, he outright hates his brother. He rejects his brother. You see this at the beginning. We already mentioned the older brother's silence. But we see his rejection of his younger brother in that silence. You see, in that culture, it would be the duty of the older brother to reconcile the younger brother with his father. It would be his duty to step in and say, hey, brother, you're off base here. We've got to fix this. And, and when the younger brother went to the far country, it would be the duty of the older brother to go, to pursue him, to seek him out, to find him, and to bring him back home. And instead, what we're met with is this resounding silence. It's this resounding silence. And in that silence, we can hear the echoes of Cain's words that he said all the way back in Genesis. Am I my brother's keeper? His hatred of his brother becomes explicit in verse 30. He's pouring out his rage on his father. And then he says this, But when this son of yours, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Pay attention to those words. He says, this son of yours. And there you have it. He's not calling him his brother. He's rejecting him as brother, this son of yours, and he's at the same time blaming the father for everything that's happened. And you see, in the Bible, loving God and loving others are bound up together with each other. When Jesus is asked what the two greatest commandments in the Bible are, Jesus says, in this order, first, it's to love God. Second of all, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And they exist in such a close bond together that they cannot be separated. And indeed, you can't have one without the other. You can't have love of God that doesn't manifest itself in love for others. 1 John 4 puts it this way. We love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. It's in that particular order. Love God, which includes a being loved by God and loving him back. It's this beautiful reciprocal relationship and then loving others. And if you're living the Christian life and you're insecure as to whether or not God loves and accepts you, you'll never be able to truly love others. And in fact, if you're not able to love others, it means that there's work to be done in that first area. Do you know the love of God? Without a doubt. Richard Lovelace 
says this. He says, people who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their spiritual achievements, these people are subconsciously, radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce, defensive assertion of their own righteousness, and defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. Have you ever met someone like that? Maybe you can see that in yourself. You see, the love of God and the love of others go together. And indeed, you love the Creator in how you love His creatures. You love the Creator in how you love those who bear His image. This is a drawing that my son drew recently. It's a logging truck and it's fantastic. And after Eli drew it, he, he ran up to me and said, Daddy, look at what I made. Look at what I made. And you know what I did? I, I looked at it and I said, wow, that's amazing. I really love how, you know, you captured the crane on the truck and you drew the logs and they're brown. It's, it's so great. And what I was doing in that moment is I was appreciating the craftsmanship of my son. I was treating this with dignity and respect. Why? I mean, yeah, he, he's okay. I treated it with respect because he made it. He created this. And Eli is a fine drawer, but God is the master artist. And he has spoken into being such beauty and intricacy and glory in creation and in humans. And words fail to describe the preciousness of what God has made from the vastness of the oceans to the delicate beauty of a lily to the mysterious depths of the human person. People, when you look at a person of any race, of any age, of any ability, you are beholding the very highest demonstration of God's creativity that has been uniquely expressed in the particularity of that person. And we love God by loving what he has made. See, the bottom line for us is that we know we've forgotten God when we forget our brothers and our sisters. We're called to love. And it's at this point that we can feel our weakness because God's standard for love is so clear and so often we fail to love as we ought to because the truth is we're sinners and, and hatred and sin has so deeply infected our hearts that even on our best day, we fail to love God and love people as we should. I mean, it just takes going on a drive and somebody cuts you off and you're swearing either out loud or in your head, or you're waiting in the grocery store and the lady in front of you is trying to pay her grocery bills with pennies. Like, pennies aren't even money anymore. How long does that take? Or your kids are driving you absolutely insane. I mean, these are the people that should be the easiest to love. They're your own flesh and blood, yet somehow they know how to drive you insane. 
And even if you think you've done it well, even at the end of the day, if you think, yes, I've loved everyone God has put before me, guess what? The t-shirt you're wearing was made by an underpaid child and your moisturizer was tested on animals. And in the past week, you have probably exploited another human being in 10 different ways that you're not even aware of. See, as much as we need to do everything we can to love others and to treat them with justice, we still fail. We're still dominated by fear and anger. We still fail to live a perfectly just life without ever exploiting anyone else. You see, only Jesus can love the way we're called to love. And that's what he's done. He is the older brother that we all need. By nature, we're not children of God. We're children of wrath. We're far from God. We've rebelled. We've run away from God and completely gotten ourselves lost and left to ourselves. We'll just do it again and again and again. And here's what God did. He sent his son, our good and true brother. He sent his son into the far country to find us and to lift us out of the muck and to bring us home. And if you're a Christian this morning, that's your story. You were dead and you've been made alive. You were lost and now you're found. You were a slave and you were a child of wrath and now you're a child of God in and through Jesus Christ. You see, the older brother's problem was that he was lost. And what's the remedy? He's also loved. He's also loved and in Jesus we are too. And that's what we need to know above all else with absolute certainty. We need to know the love of God in Christ. That's the cure for our self-righteousness. It's the cure for our fear. It's the cure for our religious rage. And love is what the father shows his older son. In verse 31, as the son has just spewed out his rage and shown how deeply misaligned his love and identities are, the father says to him, my son, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. In love, the father invites his son to embrace his true identity. He calls him what he is his son, not a slave. He doesn't need to work to be accepted. He's already accepted. And the father invites him to embrace his true identity in his love. And it's only then that the older brother can begin to love his younger brother. And that's exactly what the father invites him to do. Look at verse 32. The father invites him to embrace his brother. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours. The older brother has just said this son of yours and the father gives the brother back to him. He says, no, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. It's brilliant. It's brilliant how the father gives the older brother back his brother. And it's this invitation. Son, open your heart. 
Open your heart, forgive, embrace your brother as I have already done. It's such amazing grace that God invites us into, that he would show us his love and acceptance of us and then invite us, filled with his love, to show that kind of love and acceptance to others, to our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, to stand with those who suffer and to not be silent. This morning, this text is a fresh invitation for us to enter into God's love, the love of the Father who has welcomed us home through his son, Jesus, and in his love to welcome others too, to break our silence, to have a care, to embrace a cross difference and, and to welcome people in on the love that we've discovered. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.